Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Now, last time I was looking at Moshe Huin's um, history of the Soviet peasantry uh, under Stalin, and I really wanted to return to this because I think that, I mean, I, I talk a lot about the Soviet Union, I talk a lot about Stalinism on this podcast, and it is easy to do things in very broad brushstrokes and talk about the um, uh, process of collectivization and the famines. Um, and um, Soviet terror in very general terms. But of course, when we're talking about huge numbers of people, the Soviet peasantry obviously making up the majority of the population, the, it becomes very easy for us to think that this was a, a homogenised block of people. And uh, any logical person would in- instinctively think, surely not. And of course it's not. Uh, this is not the case. The, the, the Soviet peasants are not one you know homogenous homogenous block of people they are ethnically socially uh, and culturally um, diverse over this this vast vast country or uh, vast vast series of countries but also they existed within certain class stratifications these predated the soviet regime some of them um, some of them were the product of czarism 
some of them were kind of uh, organically created you know the the um, place that certain peasants had in society was the the kind of the product of develop, development of, of, of society and some of them some of these class stratifications were imposed by the Soviet regime the Soviet regime found it easy to classify certain kinds of peasants and difficult to classify others because some peasants didn't fit into um, the schemas that were created by Marxist Leninism um, the the kind of the version of um, how society in theory should function so we're going to look at the first category um, the Serenyaks um, and these were really the uh, the poorer peasants so Moshe Lewin writes the Serenyaks made up the greater part of the peasantry defined in terms of party propaganda as the central figures in agriculture they were poor tenants of small farms very weak agricultural producers and in many cases illiterate or almost so it was in this light that they saw themselves rather than as impressive figures nevertheless they were in fact at the very heart of social and economic life of the country and as such they provided a perpetual source of trouble for the regime and its theoreticians the party had great difficulty in defining the exact social function of the Sredniak in the accepted Marxist-Leninist terms. Lenin, for example, never made it clear whether he looked upon the peasantry as a stratum or a class. I suppose the, uh, what, you know, the, the, the difference there is a stratum is, is a kind of a, a, uh, an element of, of a particular social class. Whereas a, a social class, like the peasants or the workers, are distinct and um, recognisably different from any other social group with different values, ideas, outlooks and class interests. On occasion, he even used both terms in the same sentence when referring exclusively to the Serenyak. When we consider a stratum such as the middle peasants, it would appear that this is the kind of class which vacillates referring to the, uh, to the peasant in general, he goes on. He is partly a property owner, partly a worker. He does not exploit other workers. For years, he had to defend his position against the greatest odds. He suffered exploitation at the hands of the Pomeshchiki and the capitalists. Um, f he put up with everything. Nevertheless, he is a property owner. For this reason, the problem of our attitude towards this fascinating class is one of enormous difficulty. So where do we stand with the Serenyak? Do we view them as the exploited or the exploiter? And it seems like Lenin is coming down on the idea that any property owner must, by extension, be an exploiter or must be potentially an en a member, member of an enemy social class and therefore must, must be um, destroyed, perhaps with some reluctancy, ultimately destroyed. Leaving aside certain, a certain vagueness in terminology which reflects the complex nature of the question, Lenin clearly and repeatedly stated that he was well aware of the difficult task which confronted the Soviet regime both from the political and the doctrinal point of view in dealing with the deceptively simple muzhik, which is a peasant. Um, theoreticians of the 30s who were given to oversimplification and had neither the talent nor the intellectual stature of their master, writes Lewin, um, nor indeed the opportunity to express themselves freely, 
were frequently driven almost to despair in their efforts to classify this amorphous mass of the peasantry. They even went so far as to identify four distinct classes, the proletariat, the semi-proletariat, the Serenniak, and the rural bourgeoisie. But the same dubious process, uh, by the, but by the same dubious process of reasoning, these four classes could equally have been said to exist within the Serenniak stratum itself. For it is not true to say that the Serenniak did not exploit. Indeed, Lenin himself, in the other article, stated that the Serenniak hired labour fairly often, and that while he was a worker, he was at the same time a shark and a speculator. So, uh, I think this, this tells us, in, in essence, more about the uh, early Soviet regime than it tells us necessarily about the complexities of rural life. Um, the, the desire to classify, to stratify, to um, apply broad characteristics to complex human uh, beings and to complex human behaviour. Um, this was something that the kind of the, the, the centralised state, which had a huge mistrust of its people uh, and a, uh, an anxious and precarious grip on power for much of the time, this was something that was viewed as a prime uh, purpose of the state to um, accurately describe the sorts of people that they were dealing with. Of course, in the vastness of Russia, um, it was entirely possible for large parts of the country to be, not just to bureaucrats, but to most people, to be largely unknowable. This idea that the Serenniak hired labour often, um, was a worker as well, um, and in Lenin's view was therefore a shark and a, and a speculator. Well, that's to apply, um, well, it's to apply Marxist-Leninist discourse to something that really defies that description. If you imagine what life was like in late 19th and early 20th century peasant villages, um, the, the web of social relations, of uh, friendships, of obligations, of um, debts um, and of um, kind of allegiances, um, the, the politics of the villages would have been incredibly complex. And they, the idea that somebody was an employer would probably be of a, of a fairly alien concept. It might be that your neighbour um, hires two of your strongest sons to help him for the afternoon because his boys are away at market, or it might be that something needs to be done in the village, such as a, dig, um, a, a ditch dug, or um, somebody's uh, repairs need to be made to somebody's small holding, they, those kinds of things. But nobody would have viewed anybody in the village as being how we would imagine a, a, a capitalist or a member of the capitalist classes to be. Um, and much of the um, m much of the problem here, as David Graeber writes about, is that is the problem of what economists and economic thinking uh, does. It it takes uh, interactions. It, it applies the concept of Homo economicus to um, far more complex human beings. It presupposes that our interactions with one another 
are simply um, calculations that one can draw out on a spreadsheet or on, on, a, on a page. Um, and in, in it, if you, it doesn't see any of these relations within a kind of the wider social context that human beings are constantly creating for themselves. And uh, Lenin was um, a kind of a particular, uh, particularly brutal example of, of this. Moshe Chuin has an interesting way of uh, resolving uh, this issue. He writes, if the peasant, middle or otherwise, vacillated, it was because he was all too often confronted by alternatives which baffled him, especially if he were illiterate. Faced with similar alternatives, intellectuals and proletarians were at times even more hesitant. It was not the peasant who had the split personality, as suggested by terminology which was itself excessively divorced from reality, but rather the party which repeatedly wavered and shifted in its policy towards the Serednyak, uh, um, adopting first one line and then another, while each change in policy was usually accompanied by deviations and excesses, the brunt of which was borne by the peasant in general and the middle peasant in particular. So the, 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 the state that cannot make its mind up about the kinds of people it's dealing with um, and the, um, the, 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 so the, the Soviet state in particular was um, predicated, was based on the, uh, on, on the need um, to be waging um, class warfare against its enemies. And so it was imperative that it understood who who the peasants were. This is why this is why this is so crucial, and more crucial for uh, the Soviet state than than any other. The party writes Marshall Cluin, um, and especially the local activist um, executive, always found it much easier to deal in extremes put its faith in one group and distrust another. But when obliged simultaneously to trust and distrust the same social group as doctrine prescribed in almost so many words, it lost its assurance. The activist, constantly urged by his superiors to follow lines of conduct which seemed to him to be contradictory, dispensed favours or retribution according to his own lights only to find himself accused of excesses and deviations from a line which was itself, by definition, assumed to be entirely correct. So here we have, here we get to kind of the, the, the crux of the issue in that the state after 1917 is busy engaged in a form of, of endless class warfare. Um, the Soviet regime is uh, predicated on the idea that very quickly after the revolution there will be counter-revolutionary pressures uh, or counter-revolutionary forces which will try to destroy the Soviet regime um, and that uh, these will come from within. You know, there might be invasions from overseas um, uh, as the, kind of the British, the French, the Americans and the Japanese uh, showed um, from uh, 1918 onwards but for the most part, you, you don't worry about them too much. It's the it's the counter-revolutionaries within. Some of those represented by the white armies and nationalist movements. But the big worry is 
counter-revolutionary peasants. And in 1921, during the Antonov Revolt, Lenin himself says that uh, the Antonov Revolt is an uprising of um, uh, peasants uh, against uh, the uh, uh, policy of war communism and against the kind of the Bolshevik state. Lenin himself says that you know this is much more dangerous than at any other time during the civil war because the the peasants are the majority of the population and they control the ability to produce food. So during the um, the early phases of the regime and up until and after uh, collectivization. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The, the question of who the peasants are and what threat they pose is one that is uppermost in the minds of the, of the regime. So hence, the, when this answer about the Serenyaks can't be resolved, you have party activists and um, party bosses who have to make case-by-case judgments. You look more like a capitalist. You look more like a worker. Um, and then um, inevitably there would be times when said party activists would be shown to, to be wrong, but it's almost as it says here, almost impossible to be right. There are plenty of examples of such shifts in party policy. The result of the departure by the plenum of October 1924 from the administrative and pro-Bedniak line and of subsequent measures further implementing NEP have been described by Katayevich, who had access to the Central Committee source material. The activists could make nothing of uh, the sudden volt farce and felt like he had been betrayed. D- uh, despite the new decisions of 1925, the Bedniaks were completely neglected. If you listen to, I talked about the Bedniaks in my previous uh, podcast. The Serenyaks and the Kulaks were gaining control of the Selsoveti. The Selsoveti were the uh, rural councils that replaced the Mir. The Bedniaks were the poor peasants. Um, they had been uh, a, a kind of, I don't want to say a favourite of the, uh, the Bolsheviks, but the Bolsheviks certainly saw uh, a lot of value in them. And during the um, collectivization period, the poor peasants committees 
those which were, were uh, given the um, full backing of state power against the Kulaks and poor peasants in the villages were really encouraged to act out all their resentments uh, against the Kulaks um, and to um, appropriate and, and uh, confiscate Kulak property and administer punishments um, and the, uh, the Bedniaks um, who had and the poor peasant committees that have had that had initially after um, 1917 um, in, initially a, a significant increase in uh, their power and status in the villages um, by the 1920s during NEP as it says here the Kulaks and the Serenniaks the, the top and the middle tier of the peasantry start to um, claim back a significant amount of power uh, and the, uh, the during the the various plenums uh, of, of the party there was a lot of disquiet that the peasantry uh, that, that a, a kind of a rural bourgeoisie is being re-established Part of this, of course, is to do with the fact that uh, after Lenin's death in 1924, there's no clear direction about what's meant to occur with the new economic policy, how long it's meant to last for, and what's meant to come afterwards. Um, Lenin hadn't really been able to articulate that in his dying years. Um, and so uh, Stalin, in, in a way, in 1928, resolves these questions and says basically this is what is this is what is coming this is what is happening um so moshe lewin writes sensing that it was losing control in the countryside the party applied the break and issued new instructions in order to remedy the situation during the electoral campaign of 1926 to 27. the results as described in a collection of essays and articles uh, were as follows. The Bedniaks were being forced into, uh, in, into the Selsovti um, by all possible means. And the Serenniaks were being thrust aside. So now the poor peasants uh, from 1926 onwards are being uh, advanced once again. The right to vote was being withdrawn indiscriminately and thousands of complaints from unjustly treated Serenniaks were pouring into the electoral committees. These injustices, it was claimed, would be rectified later as far as possible. But certain persons, particularly the middle peasants, the same source stated, are beginning to feel that the party and the Soviet regime are deliberately excluding them from direct participation in the government and control of the state. In order to calm the fears of, those per of these persons, a series of measures were adopted by the plenum of February 1927, which at the same uh, which at the same time deviationists were accused of having aided the Kulaks, um, and of having, by their neglect of the Serenniaks and their exclusive support of the Bedniak candidates, jeopardised the dictatorship jeopardised the dictatorship of the proletariat. So they're being so essentially. Um, <coughs> Delegates at the, at the um, plenum of the 27th of February were being told two separate things. They're being told at the same time that you're helping the Kulaks, you're helping the rich peasants, 
um, um, and that also um, having aided uh, having neglected the Serenyaks um, and having helped the poor peasants the Bedniaks too much so having helped the top and the bottom and ignored the middle that you're di- di- jeopardizing this term the dictatorship of the proletariat and what that meant really when they were starting to introduce the language, the, the term of the proletariat in, into the conversation. It meant that the um, dictatorship of the proletariat, the rule of the workers in, in the Soviet Union, was being put in jeopardy because ultimately um, control of the countryside and the ability to control the peasants to continue producing food uh, was the only way in which the towns and cities were going to be fed and the towns and cities have procure, precarious food supplies um, throughout the entirety of the 1920s and, and for much of the 1930s um, and this meant that the the, 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 the workers regime was in, in dire peril um, the moment the cities starve essentially Soviet communism is over one commentator wrote there was a flagrant lack of comprehension of the party's directive concerning the reinforcement of, of the organisation of the Bedniaks. It has been forgotten that this reinforcement presupposed the simulation, simultaneous growth and strengthening of links between the bloc of the Bedniaks and the Serenyaks, the basic mass of the peasantry in the countryside. So, to make sense of what the party is trying to do, it was assumed that ultimately, if you um, perhaps bully the Serenyaks a bit, they'll stop being so capitalist. They'll stop doing this thing called hiring a neighbour to help shoe a horse or hiring a neighbour to help dig a, dig a well. Um, you know, hardly capitalism. What they'll do is they, they will sink, they will sort of descend to the level of the Bedniaks. They will become like the poorer peasants. And so you create, eventually, a homogenous block of poor peasants. You, you get rid of this complexity that's causing all these problems. Um, and then you turn those poor peasants on the kulaks. So this is the, the grand strategy of the, uh, the, the Communist Party in the, the Russian countryside and Ukrainian, Belarusian and beyond. And as we've seen before uh, on the podcast, and as we will no doubt see again, the beginnings of uh, the war on the Kulaks start within the villages. The um, poor peasants' committees are encouraged to um, attack their slightly more well-to-do neighbours um, and to see them as uh, enemies within. So we'll continue this. I, I really like Moshe Lewin and the, the, the depths to which uh, the, the, the detail um, and the level of research and the writing and the skill and the talent uh, of him. And so we're going to continue with him uh, probably in the next couple of months. Anyway, thanks very much. And I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye bye.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.